Little thing as well, just to mention uh, to you, just, I, I don't know if you're into things like this. For me, I like little dates and markers, and I like to keep track of things. Today is a significant weekend in the history of our church. It's actually 10 years ago this weekend that IBC, International Baptist Church, became Hillview Community Church, uh, a significant marker in, in the story. So we just give thanks to God for all that He has done over those 10 years and for bearing with us in all our struggles and difficulties. And we just pray, I wonder, right, what will the next 10 years hold? Who knows? Now that's exciting to think about and just to give that to God and just ask for His help and His guidance in these coming days. So, a little quiz uh, to just start the time. Uh, the winner gets um, uh, to, to attend tomorrow night and get awesome food from Josh and Tim, and maybe some hairdressing lessons from me, uh, if you so fancy them. Um, I'm looking for you to name this oft-used four-word phrase. I'm going to give you a few clues about what that phrase is, what that phrase is that I'm looking for, and I want you to just name it. And when you've got it, or you think you've got it, just shout out, and we'll see who can get it. So it's as vague as that, but here's the first clue. It's to do with car travel, a four-word phrase that you might hear. Steve absolutely nailed it. Well done. Right, I've got the clippers here, Steve. Come, no, no. Yeah, are, are, we, are we there yet? That was, that was fast. I wasn't sure if people were going to get it that quickly. I had a few clues. I had car journeys, long journeys, boredom, impatience, and then I was going to give you the initials as well if you needed them. But no, you got straight there. Are we there yet? That is definitely a phrase that many, if not most of us, will have either heard or maybe said or to be honest, probably both at various times in our life. Are we there yet? There's a destination ahead. There's somewhere we want to get to. And the journey along the way is just a bother to us. It's a hindrance. It's annoying. It's a tiresome obstacle to us getting where we want and maybe need to get to. So when that happens, a passenger in the car, especially if it's, sorry, especially if it's a young child who maybe isn't able to keep perspective, they can get impatient with the journey. They can get exasperated, maybe even a little bit sick, begin to feel travel sick, and they just want to know enough already. When will this journey be over? I want to get there. And in a sense, are we there yet is less a question than it is a statement of disappointment or of frustration or upset. Well, in the same way that a child can often say that on a car journey, so all of us can have that same struggle, that same difficulty as we think about our journeys through life. Are we there yet? Last week, in our introduction to this little series in Jeremiah, We were identifying ourselves with the people to whom Jeremiah was first preaching and sharing God's word. Uh, They were a people who were beat down, who were struggling, who were sinful, who were far from home, who had been taken out of their normal rhythms of life, who had been navigating huge times of change. We were identifying with all of that. And indeed, these were people who were trying to, with God's help, to live in the promise that they were coming home. And that's what we were thinking about 
last week that to an even greater extent than the people in Jeremiah's day, we can be confident that God will draw us home because we were remembering all of the promises of the scriptures are indeed rooted and yes and amen in the finished work of Jesus. So in the midst of all the ups and downs that we're experiencing at the moment, we were seeking to find hope in Jesus that we're coming home. As individuals, as a church family, coming home to that place of peace and rest with God in Him for now and forevermore. Which I pray was an encouragement to us but to which I'm sure all of us, maybe at some point, whether we verbalized it in, in this way, we, we maybe felt this or experienced that we might say to that, that idea of coming home, are we there yet? How much longer is this journey going to go on? I'm struggling. Thank you, Martin, for encouraging us that we're coming home to God, but it doesn't feel like that to me. It hasn't felt like that to me maybe for a decade, maybe longer. See, yes, we long for that final destination that we have as the people of God when we will know the blessings of Jeremiah 29 to 33 in all their fullness that we just glanced at last week. Yes, that should be on our minds. Yes, we should pray for that and speak of that hope every single week. Yes, Thoughts of that destination, where we're headed, should be front and center through the challenges of every day and every week that we face. I think if we want, friends, to take the New Testament seriously, this would lead us to more talking and praying and longing and anticipating regarding the hope that we have in heaven through Jesus Christ. Not less of any of that stuff. More praying, come Lord Jesus. More praying, come God, bring that day when I will finally be fully at rest in you. More of that we need. But still the question comes, what about the journey along the way? We're not there yet fully. The destination is not in question and it is glorious beyond description and it should inform how we live in the here and now. But what of tomorrow morning when we just wake up feeling flat again? confronted by the many issues that we all encounter. What does life in exile look like? Well, in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, we get to read a letter that Jeremiah has sent to these exiles, these people who have been sent away from Jerusalem. And in it, there is a great deal of help from God for us, I believe as we consider how should we live during this time we're in, living in exile in this foreign land. The recipients of this letter, of this, these prophecies from Jeremiah, they were desperate to come home. That cry of frustration was felt in those exiles, and we feel it today. Are we there yet, God? I'm done with this journey. And into that context... God's word comes to them. So if you are struggling just now going, okay, 
I can kind of believe it seems clear that God does love me, that God is for me, but why has this happened? Why has that happened? Why am I still struggling? Am I ever going to feel differently? Am I ever going to feel that sense of victory in life that we sometimes sing about and see in other people and wonder, am I ever going to feel like that? that? Well, God's word comes to you as you're feeling in that moment, just as it came to God's people many hundreds of years ago. And the first message that God has for his people in this moment is this, live well as people of peace. Verse four of Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Sorry, I lost my place. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Welfare. Now, it's important for us to recognize, okay, this is not what the people of God wanted to hear from God's prophet Jeremiah. We know from the previous chapter, if you look at chapter 28, that there were prophets telling the people that their time in exile was going to be short, just two years. So turn over to verse 2 of chapter 28, and you, you come across this prophet, so-called Hananiah, um, and who says this, verse 2 of, of, of 28, thus says the Lord of hosts, so he says, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon within two years. I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. He says the same thing in verse 11, but Jeremiah is going to make clear to Hananiah that he is not faithfully sharing the word of God. Look at verse 15 of chapter 28. Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. And again, we see in verse 8 of chapter 29, Jeremiah is warning the people that they should not be deceived by these false prophets giving false promises. The exile is not going to last just two years, but the exile is going to last 70 years. And the people did not want to hear that. You can see towards the end of the chapter, verses 27 and 28, how other false prophets are calling for Jeremiah to be rebuked for this message that he is bringing to them. So there is this struggle going on between what the people want and the, the word of God that is coming to them, what God intends for them. They didn't want the journey. They didn't want the struggle. They didn't want this exile to last decades. They wanted it to be over and done with. They wanted it to be quick. So the message in verses four to seven, to settle down, <laughs> to build houses and plant gardens, this would not have landed easily. Now, this question is something that Jesus' church has had to grapple with over the centuries. The question of, as we acknowledge ourselves as living as exiles in a foreign land with our citizenship not 
primarily in the United Kingdom, but primarily our citizenship is in heaven, we, we belong not ultimately to the United Kingdom. We belong ultimately to the kingdom of heaven. The question is, with that in mind, what should our relationship be to this foreign land that we find ourselves in? Be that Babylon or be that Aberdeen or Aberdeenshire. This is a big question, and it's not a philosophical question. It gets right to the details of how we will live our lives. How do we interact at school or work? What social connections will we pursue? How engaged in local politics should we become? What time should we give to supporting local projects? Now, of course, different traditions across the history of the church, different groups of followers of Jesus have answered that question very differently. With, with some extremes of, perhaps some extreme, one extreme would be total isolation from the world. We're just to separate ourselves, we're to get together as God's people, we're to pray, we're to, we're to share the good news of Jesus, hopefully more people will come into that, into that group, and then Jesus is going to come back one day and take his people to be with. That's maybe one extreme, complete isolation, and then on the other extreme, just complete syncretism with the spirit of the age. Maybe in the name of God, for good purposes, you, you might think, but you know what? Between these two extremes, all of us are somewhere in the middle, leaning different ways in regard to how to navigate this. And these verses in Jeremiah 29, 4 to 7, are well known for speaking into that issue. They have become among the first verses that Christians would turn to as they consider various ways to express their faith in day-to-day -day life. Various ways to express, what does it mean to show God's love and concern for the people around about me? So questions like this, why should Christians care about political engagement? Why would we as a church and as individuals want to support ministries like Christians Against Poverty, which help people get out of debt? Why have some in this church family pursued connections with the social work department or the police department on various projects? Why do some from among us sometimes give up nights on their weekend to serve as street pastors? Why have Christians been so crucially fundamental to the organizing of food banks around Aberdeen? Why have they given time to support other local charities, whether that's on an ongoing basis or whether that is, uh, you know, as part of a specific fundraiser that you might be working towards? Why have we as a church run courses on web safety and drug education and parenting? Why should we want to keep these grounds around about us neat and tidy? Why should we want to have a heart for education and engage in schools? Why should we want to provide resources that will have an impact on the communities that we are connected to? And so on and so on and so on. Because, because it is said in part of Jeremiah's call to the exiles in verses 5 to 7 of Jeremiah chapter 29. He calls them to settle down. He calls them to put roots down in the communities where they find themselves, to, to grow where you're planted, to live in community. And there's something here in this passage of, of contentment and longevity, which is encouraged, right? You think of, it says, build houses. And then in case 
There's confusion. You know, it's not like a, a house flipping business. He's encouraging people to get into. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat the produce. These are not short little processes. These, you know, bed in. Be committed to the place where God has put you. There is also a call to be fruitful in, in, in this place that God has sent his people to, to, to create and to cultivate planting and, and enjoying the produce of that, to, to bring life and sustenance to the community that God's people find themselves in. The point is this, they're not to be cut off from the world. They're not to be disengaged from the world, not just dreaming or talking of heaven all the time, but God's people in exile are to pursue life as active and valuable members of the society. But here's the thing. There's a danger here. These words, Jeremiah 29, 5 to 7, we have to remember would have been utterly shocking and disconcerting to the people in exile. They had no interest in living well in Babylon. That was anathema to them. So God's word comes to them and would shock and startle them to see a different way that God was calling them to. The danger for us is these ideas are so far from shocking and startling to us, that we just need to be a bit careful. The call to build houses and to live in them, the call to enjoy the produce of the land, the call to seek out meaningful relationships, the call to contribute to society. Truthfully, if we're honest, that is very normative for the vast majority of us, so much so to the extent that we need to be careful that we do not lose the heart of what God is calling us to in that. It's not a call to just, oh, well, you're in exile. Oh, just settle down for a few years. Just live, the, just live in the goodness of the land. Just be an upstanding citizen. That's not what's going on here. The call from God is that his people should bring shalom. Shalom. Wherever you see the word welfare, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7 and verse 11, it's this beautiful word, shalom which speaks, as many of you know, to the, the, something of the fullness of, of the plans for goodness and peace and beauty and wholeness and righteousness that God has for his people under his rule. And that's what God is calling his people to in Babylon in exile. This is not just a call just to be indistinguishable from the crowd. It's not just a call to be an upstanding citizen. This is a call for heartfelt engagement in the community in order to spread the goodness of God. For us to spread, as it's put in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the fragrant aroma of the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Jesus. That is what we are called to do. This is what Jesus prayed for, dear friends, for his disciples. Would you turn over for just a moment to John chapter 17? And we're going to just read a few verses from verse 14. Jesus is praying this for his disciples. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world 
just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is saying, my people are not to be taken out of the world. Indeed, he says, I'm actually sending them in to the world. But we should be conscious that we are not of the world. That's where we get that little phrase, Christians should be in the world, but not of the it's, it's actually taken from these verses here. We need the truth of God's word to figure out what life looks like in that context. What does it mean to, to, to know that Jesus is sending us into the world, but we're not to be of the world? Well, if you jump back to Jeremiah 29, you get a couple of little pointers as to what this looks like in terms of not just being indistinguishable from everyone else around about us. In verses 4 and verse 7, we have a, a really interesting little reminder that God gives through the prophet Jeremiah that it is Him who has sent His people there. Do you see that? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. So, so this is all happening within the, the, the call and the purposes of God. What does it mean to, to be in the world but not of the world? It means that you understand God has sent me here. God has sent me here. It's tough in exile. The struggle is difficult and real, but, but God has sent me here. I trust in His sovereignty. We've just been singing about it. I trust in His sovereign hand. He has purposes for me in this. That's, that's the first thing. And then the other pointer we get is this wonderful call in verse 7 to pray. To pray. In what Jeremiah lays out for us here, it's maybe easy for us to do some sort of version of the first part of these verses. Houses, gardens, relationships, seeking peace and good for those that we come into contact with. But this call to pray to God for the communities that we're in, it's a reminder that this is no call to just easy, middle-class existence. We are to call on God. We are to be people of prayer, people who know we individually and indeed as this church cannot survive, let alone bring any of this beautiful shalom, this beautiful goodness of God to the world in which we live without desperate reliance on God, without heartfelt crying out to God. We all need help with this. I know I do. I think we all do individually and also together. There are wonderful sisters and brothers of prayer in this church family, but we still need God's help for Him to create and to recreate, maybe especially given this little marker moment 10 years in, after this time of difficulty that we faced of being scattered and, and apart, maybe it's a great moment for us to, to ask that God would help recreate that culture of prayer in the church. I, you know, of all the things that Hillview Community Church might be known for, do you think it would be reasonable for us to be known as a people fervent and passionate in prayer? 
I think with God's help, we can journey forward in that challenge and come together and encourage one another in our prayerfulness, in our individual lives and together. And I just want to mention just briefly, just as another encouragement for you regarding the church weekend at home. Uh, We are going to spend some time in that weekend picking up some of the threads that we talked about in our last church forums together before the lockdown stuff. We're going to talk about what does it mean for us to be a praying church together. And we're just going to pray that the Spirit of God would guide us in this. It's not a burdensome thing. It's not a heavy thing. It shouldn't be a bad, sort of horrible thing. It should be an awesome reality that we get to together. Cry out from our hearts to God, God, we need you. God, help us spread your shalom, your welfare, your peace in this place that you've put us. May God do something precious among our midst as we think about what it means to be a praying people. So if you can come to the church weekend at home, I think Sunday morning is when we're going to look at that. When the journey is tough, when the peace of God seems far off, our first response is maybe not to always receive answers as to why it's hard like this. Actually, one of the first calls that Jeremiah, the voice of God in this scenario, gives to the exiles is, be people of peace. Be people who bring God's peace. Maybe we need to pray for help to not just get stuck on the hard questions of why is it like this? Why is this happening to me? Just pray, God, Let me be so full of your joy and your peace and your presence that it spills out to the communities that you've put us. And then secondly, rest in the assurance of the coming blessing of God. When you feel, are we there yet? Why is this journey taking so long? The second encouragement in this passage is rest in the assurance of the coming blessing of God. And here we come to Jeremiah 29, 11. A verse which I'm sure many of you have memorized and know as very, very precious. This is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. And not far under John 3:16, right up there. Uh, you'll see on greetings cards, on social media, in frames, in houses, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, as a preacher, when you come to a verse like this, you can begin to feel pulled in a few different directions. It can be tempting to play the contrarian and to flag all the problems that there are with this verse being the poster verse that it is. So you know what, I'm just going to try and have my cake and eat it a little bit here because I I just do want to underline that it is true that it's important for us to know the context of a verse. You know, we shouldn't just throw verses around all over the place. We should know the context in in which these verses from God come to us. It is true that the context here is not an easy one. The context here is a very difficult one. First of all, at our broad level in the book of Jeremiah, the context is chapter after chapter of God's warnings and God's judgment. And indeed, even 
the, the very verse before Jeremiah 29, 11 highlights the difficult reality that God's people were facing. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you. <laughs> the 70 years bit is important. And understanding the context here, must, the, the, the hope and the future that we have mentioned in verse 11 must be read with the context of verse 10 in mind. We, we have to acknowledge that. And it is also true that we should be careful, therefore, not to throw around the promises of God like this, to, to believe that we're going to get that job that we want or that house that we want or that parking space that we want because God has good plans for me, for good and not for evil. So, you know, insert whatever issue you're chasing after there. Tick. That's, surely it's going to be a tick. No, we've got to be more careful than that. Now, <laughs> bear with me, because having just done a little of what I said it's tempting to do, I don't want to land there. I don't want that to be the main thing. I am, if I'm honest, tired of how the majority of times I see Jeremiah 29, 11 referenced, it's typically in some snarky comment about how badly ripped out of context it is by Christians. And people can get quite uppity about that. Maybe you think I've just done that. Hopefully you've sensed my tone. I don't want that to be the main thing. Please hear me clearly because this truly, we could throw around this word glorious, this truly is glorious. For anyone who trusts in Jesus, and that can be every single one of us today, who just responds to the call of God in your heart, for anyone who trusts in Jesus, you can rest in the beautiful, remarkable, incredible truth of Jeremiah 29, 11. Are you struggling with the journey through life? Do you feel the inner cry of, are we there yet? Bubbling up from time to time. You can you should hope today and tomorrow and the next day in the fact that the God, your God, has plans for you. And he knows what those plans are that he has for you, that they are plans not for evil, but for shalom, for peace, wholeness, welfare. This is what God wants for you. Goodness, rest, joy, life. Just hear God speak those realities over you this morning. He wants you to know that you have a future and that in that you can and you do have great hope. As children of God, because of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises through the good news of the finished work of Jesus, we are caught up in the story of his promise of peace for his people. This is how, friends, we can say today, the story's not 
over yet. This is how we can encourage one another to hold on through the difficult things that we face, even through maybe 70 years of pain and hardship. Don't give up. God has peace for you. God has hope for you. God has a future for you. He will bring his work in your life onto full and perfect completion in Jesus Christ. I, I love one of the songs that we've been singing a little bit through our YouTube services. It's called By the Grace of God. And the last verse says this, when breath grows still and night draws near, I will not be afraid I know the plans he has for me don't finish at my grave. I love that because it reminds me that truly even death, which is our greatest enemy, right? Even death is by no means the end of the story. If we have, if, if we have, and I do not say this glibly, knowing that some of you have encountered this, if we have decades, even 70 years perhaps, of struggle, and then an eternity of peace and joy and goodness in the certainty of new life in God, that truly is great hope and a great future. And that is not to minimize the struggle that anyone is going through, but we must keep our eyes looking to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 it's too wonderful to be snarky about, and it's too wonderful to throw around glibly as if all of our problems will just disappear and all of our wishes will be met in one moment. Jeremiah 29, 11 is rock-solid hope that carries us through the hardest of times, which leads us to our final encouragement as we come to communion just now. What do we do? What do we say? How do we react when the journey feels long? When we, are we there yet? Is the cry of our hearts. Finally, don't, don't be led astray. Seek God. Be found by God. Not a catchy title, but this is awesome as well. Seek God. Be found by God. A significant chunk of this chapter, so verses eight and nine from verses 15 onwards and the surrounding passages, is God warning the people not to be led astray. It can be tempting to, to do this, to be led astray to other paths, to, to find other messages of hope to look to, quicker, simpler fixes. That's what the people were drawn to. These prophets were saying, just a couple of years, just a couple of years, you'll be back. And they were being led astray. God, in this chapter, calls them back to the heart of what it means to be the people of God. What is this shalom? What is this hope and this future rooted in? Verse 12. Then, let's go verse 11 again. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then, what does this look like? You will call upon me. And come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 
We're going to read verse 14 in a minute, but I just love the mix of these verses. We have responsibility here, friends. We have calling on God's name to do. We have coming to God to do. We have praying to Him to do. We have seeking Him with all of our hearts. That's what we have to do this morning before we leave here. All those important things, but then ultimately, as we see verse 14, we are to find ourselves just resting in and caught up in the will of God here. Look at verse 14. I love it. It's a very strange way to say some of these things. God says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You see, it's God's work. God's saying, make no mistake. I am speaking this reality into existence. I will be found by you. Anyone who comes to seek me, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And it says, I will, I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So yes, we've got seeking to do. Yes, we've got calling out to do and praying to do. But ultimately, friends, isn't it awesome to know it's not, it's not about you mustering up anything in yourself. It's about God has declared that for any who would come to him, he will find them. He will draw them back. He will hold you safe in that place of peace and rest in him. Which brings us then to this time of communion. This is where we come now and seek and find God. And this is where we celebrate that all of that us coming now in this time, all of that is only possible because why? Because Jesus came and sought us out. Jesus came and found us. Jesus came into a far off land and, and encountered decades of, of struggle, giving his life for us to find us, to draw us in to the heart of God. Jesus in this time invites us to, under your seats, there's a little, a little cup of juice and a little wafer on the top. And Jesus invites us to take bread, representing his body given for us, and to take a cup, representing his blood shed for us. You see, it's all rooted in what Jesus has done. And yet he invites us to come in this time. We see in the gospel story all that Jesus is and all he has done and the hope and the future that he has secured. So we call upon him. We come to him in this simple act of taking bread and juice. And then, friends, we trust in the promises of God. Are we there yet? Not yet. Not finally home still exiles, still journeying. But in Jesus, we can live as people of peace. In Jesus, we can rest in the blessing of God now and forevermore. And in Jesus, verse 13, hear the voice of God. In Christ, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray.
Yes, indeed, Father, this is a holy moment where we can hear your word. Yes, these words written to your people hundreds of years ago, but yes, by your spirit, your word to us right now here, right where we're sitting, right where we are as your people together. God, we just acknowledge the journey is difficult. There are many needs in our family of faith, many struggles, many questions, many disappointments and discouragements. But thank you that our hope is in you. Thank you that our peace and our life is in you. Thank you that you have indeed given us life and a great future, great hope. So help us come to you now. As you announce that you will draw us to yourself, help us just respond to that lovely invitation. We bring your hearts, our lives now and ask for your, ask just for a touch of your spirit as we take bread and juice, remembering the Lord Jesus and his perfect sacrifice and remembering the fact that he is not dead, but he is alive and he is inviting us into the life of God for us today and forevermore. We respond to you now in this time in Jesus' name.